Welcome to the Work Science Center podcast, brought to you by the Work Science Center of the Georgia Institute of Technology. I'm your host, Keaton Fletcher. You can find more about the Work Science Center at our website, www.worksciencecenter.gatech.edu. In today's podcast, I speak with Ruth Kanfer, Professor of Industrial Organizational Psychology at the Georgia Institute of Technology and Director of the Work Science Center. Ruth and I discuss all things motivation, what we know, and where we need to go. Uh, Hi, Ruth. Thanks for joining me today. Really quickly, could you give me just a brief overview of who you are and sort of how you came to be where you're at in your career? Well, I'm a professor in in psychology in the School of Psychology at Georgia Tech in the Work and Organizational Psych Program, and I've been here since 1998, and I'm also a director of the Work Science Center and have been here doing that since its start in 2015. I graduated with a clinical psych PhD from Arizona State and decided that I wanted to work with people in organizations rather than hanging out a shingle. So I took a postdoc in quant, quantitative psychology at the University of Illinois, and my first job was then at the University of Minnesota in 1984. And I stayed there until I came to Georgia Tech in 98. So, but my research interests have really always been the same. They've been really about how people grow and develop, achieve, and how work plays a role in that, and how the working experience affects that. And the specific areas that I have worked in are work motivation and self-regulation and workforce aging. Awesome. Yeah, so um, just kind of wanting to dive into motivation. I think that's of interest certainly to me and I think also our listeners. So um, what do we know about motivation? I know there are a lot of theories out there, but at this point, I think there's been a lot of research on it. So what what can we say almost for certain about motivation? Well, we know a lot about motivation, and there's a lot more to know. You know, motivation is probably the most uh, popular topic among people in organizations, practitioners, and it's also extremely popular in the academic world. And we've studied motivation and in particular work motivation for 100 years or more. So there's a lot we know. We know that motivation work, and I'm talking about work motivation, but it's true of motivation in general. It waxes and it wanes. It's always in flux. It's never constant. You only need to look at your own experience to realize that you may start out very excited and motivated to uh, read a book, and then 20 minutes later, you're less motivated to read that, and you put it down. So it changes over time. It's never constant. Um, And I think that's something that we tend to forget in the uh, work world. It also and we know this because of some of the more recent work, changes over the lifespan, that what motivates us, um, both intrinsic and extrinsic motives, change over the lifespan. We also know that motivation is not simply a characteristic of the individual or of the situation. We like to talk about people as being 
unmotivated or uh, lazy or so on. And there are even theories about that. And it is true that there are characteristics or attributes of people that make them more or less uh, disposed to responding to a certain situational incentives, but it isn't a characteristic of the person. Someone may work be at work appear unmotivated, but if you look at them out fishing up at 5.30 in the morning and doing everything perfectly and being very attentive, you realize that they're motivated, but it's not, it's not that they're always unmotivated, but they're, the question is motivated for what? And it's not solely an attribute of the situation, um, but it's the interaction. So we also know that there are universal motives. There are motives that seem to appear to be common to all human organisms. The motive to belong or to affiliate or to be uh, with other human beings in a relationship of some sort. The motive to achieve and to be competent. The motive to have control and autonomy in, uh, over one's behavior and oneself those are motives that are pretty classic motives that almost all motivational scientists will agree exist for all people. And that when one of those motives appears to be violated, there is a reaction. Another motive that has come up and more recent is the motive for justice or fairness, depending on how people see that, whether it's equity or equality. Then there are external motives, you know, and those are the motives that for many years managers really focused on financial gains and losses, you know, monetary incentives, uh, motives, extrinsic incentives like that were pleasure, like giving extra perks, parking space, a close in parking space or a extra day of vacation or so on. So we know that there are both intrinsic and extrinsic motives. We know that goals drive action, and we know that goals are really important. Goals are representations in our mind about what we want to experience or realize or what that motive state will get us, and they can be purpose, they can be conscious or even unconscious, but that those goals really drive the motivational process. In the work world, the last 30, 40 years of research on goal setting and self-regulation has really taught us about what the processes are that are involved in motivation, work motivation. And we know that um, the goals that a person has for the task and their job affect how much effort, the kinds of strategy, and how long they persist at work activities to accomplish their goal. And we know that difficult specific goals that are realistic to the individual also promote effort. So we also know that job goals and, and motivation occurs in a social context and that motivation is affected by that social context. And I think our recent work is really focused more on how that social context affects our motivation. And finally, we know that motivation and emotion are intimately related and that our emotions both support and prompt actions, that high levels of motivation are usually associated with high 
or positive levels of job satisfaction. So we know a lot about motivation and work motivation. Yeah, it, so it sounds like it. There was a lot of really interesting stuff in there um, that you'd mentioned. And one thing I want to dive into a little bit more, because I know it's also a passion of yours, is the intersection of age and motivation. Uh, you had mentioned that it changes over the lifespan. And I was wondering, um, what do we know or what does your research show about how motivation and age are related, especially now that people are living longer and working longer? Definitely. Well, this is something that's been, been kind of interesting to me in the last 10 or 15 years, maybe as I, I traverse the lifespan. But it's, it is definitely the case that we're living longer lives, we have better health, and that we're working longer. And that longer working lives is something that is seen, for the most part, as beneficial both to individuals and to our society. So there has been this closer look at work motivation across the lifespan. And what we find is that motives change over the lifespan. What changes is what's important. It's not that motives go away or come up. It's just that the, their salience or their relative salience changes across the lifespan. So when we're young, things that are salient to us have to do with um, achieving and uh, accomplishing things and, and establishing ourselves and our status in the world. And those are motives that drive a lot of uh, our work-related goals. And that's what's important. As we get older, security motives become important and goals that are related to protecting a positive sense of ourself. And, and often midlife, um, there's work that suggests that generativity motives become important, that we seek to uh, engage in activities that transmit our knowledge to the next generation. We also know that that these motives seem to have an, a, a natural inborn innate change, but that also motives change as a function of how aging affects other things about ourselves. So our cognitive and physical abilities change across the lifespan, and that affects our ability to meet task demands. And so we become, over time, more selective about our work goals, uh, and we develop these compensatory strategies to accomplish work goals as we get older and we see uh, declines. And for everybody, that's a little different, depending on both their own internal makeup as well as the job demands that they have. We also know another consequence of aging is that we are seeing a difference between the term motivation at work versus motivation to work. For the most part, when we studied work motivation in the early part of the 20th century, we were studying people who didn't have a choice. They were mostly white males, and they mostly needed to work. And it wasn't whether they wanted to work or they could find work. It was really about their motivation at work. And it was, what can we tell managers and supervisors that help them to motivate their employees? That's broadened, as we've talked about longer working lives, so that the motivation to work as you get older might change. You may have more choices. And 
although motivation at work appears to be governed by the same processes and structures across the lifespan, motivation to work really changes across the life course. And that is typically associated with age. Part of the reason I asked about that is like we know that the workforce is changing. We're getting um, people working a lot longer, but that's certainly not the only thing that's changing about the workforce. We see that there's been this shift lately over the last five, ten years towards more what one could argue is insecure work, things like gig work, like ride shares, things along those lines. So how might that change what motivation looks like at, at work? I mean, you've kind of potentially taken away the manager from the equation. That's a really good point. Yeah, our lots of things are changing. Our cheese is really moving with respect to this whole economy and economies and the role of people, humans in these economies. And one of them is this gig economies. Now, gig work is increasing, but insecure work is only part of gig work. So job insecurity is, when you talk about insecure work, it's work where people might perceive a threat of losing that job. There's some gig work that people take on and they actually are not concerned about whether or not that that gig work declines. They may be seeking part-time or temporary work to begin with. And so the temporary nature of gig work or the limited nature of gig work might not be a problem, although the lack of perks and other features like healthcare may be a serious problem in gig economies, um, and it is actually. But insecure work, where you're actually looking so you're really underemployed, you're engaged in gig work when you really want to be full-time employed, um, is generally a, a unhealthy, and um, it can divert attentional resources that might otherwise be devoted to the job. And so, in a sense, your your emotional responses to being worried about when you're going to be laid off, if you're going to be laid off, and the time and effort you spend looking for alternative work can take away from attention to your job. And it can lower also your motive for making friends at the place you're at if you know it's temporary work. Now, some people have also made an argument and provided some data that job insecurity can increase motivation at work, so people try harder in order to keep that position. But when you're talking about the growing gig economy, I think that is less compelling. I think um, the argument is that uh, in the gig economy, motivation at work is really driven less is driven more by the individual situation that brought them into that gig economy than it is by the economy itself. I mean, this might be asking you to engage in a little bit of speculation here, but what do you think then the role of the company can be or ought to be in the case of these insecure positions as far as individual motivation? You mean like a Uber or a Lyft? Yeah. If I if I know my employees are in this are potentially in this insecure job or employment, what can I be doing to keep them motivated? What should I be doing to keep them motivated? Or might I lean into the fact that um, insecure work might itself be motivating? I don't know. Do you have well, thoughts on that? Right. So Places like Uber and Lyft have done things to try to motivate 
their workforce to work harder when they are at work. So they will do things like they'll use performance feedback and progress towards the last the driver went, what's your goal for today's driving, how many rides and how much money do you want to make? And then they'll give them feedback about how you're doing. They'll give them feedback. They're using technologies to tell them, well, there's a ride that is very close to you and can help you meet your goal. So they're doing things like that to motivate sustained effort in the workplace. But uh, that doesn't take away from the fact that not only is that work, it's not so much that it's insecure, but it, it is underemployment in most cases. And most of these people do this as a interim type of employment. When, for example, they don't have a permanent schedule or can't schedule their work in a regular, or they're engaged in other part-time work that is irregular. Um, so, for example, if you are looking for extra jobs and you're, you're employed by an employer who does not give you a regular schedule, you might work Uber when you're not working because you have some control over time. Some people work Uber uh, or Lyft or these this kind of gig work because they can control when they work. But that is a very different kind of working experience than working full-time in an organization. In your answer there, you, you brought up the role that of technologies um, that <clears throat> for companies like Uber and Lyft, they're using that to keep their employees motivated. And that kind of segues nicely into a different question I wanted to ask you was, you know, we're also seeing another shift in the nature of work that technology, things like automation are altering what we do on the jobs. They're potentially eliminating routinized parts, things along those lines. So what do you think are some of the effects we could be seeing in motivation as technology starts to play a bigger and bigger role in what we do? Well, I think we're already seeing a number of changes. Um, so your motivation to work may be constant, but as technology and automation uh, change the workplace, it may decrease or increase your motivation to work. For older individuals, they may not want they may retire rather than learn new technologies. You know, there are a group of Fortran programmers who said, I am not going to learn new programming skills. And so they were basically decided mostly to retire after uh, the 21st century. On the other hand, for younger people, um, the, uh, the imp, imp, um, imposing new technologies and automating is an opportunity for, as seen as a plus, for uh, giving greater license to innovate and create new products and so on. And it's, and it's, it can be very motivating um, to work in a particular organization. So it really depends on, also, you know, for one, where you are in that learning curve. When you're at work, technologies, I mean, automation is, effect, is profoundly affecting our working experience. It affects who and what we know, what we do through the day, who we trust, who we develop friendships with, it affects the availability of the knowledge we have for making decisions uh, in the organization. And um, it also can make salient new motives like um, 
By using technologies, you might get more feedback about how your team is doing that you wouldn't otherwise know or how your organization is doing. And that might develop, uh, that might strengthen motives for the organization or the team that wouldn't be there otherwise. It can also, the automation and new technologies can also affect your desire and your motivation to learn. So I think there are so many things that automation and new technologies do to affect motivation, and we've only begun to really understand that. I fully agree, and I'm excited to see where things head with that. As far as the research is concerned, with motivation as a whole, as a field, I mean, you are one of the leading experts in motivation. So what do you think we need to be doing to stay relevant um, for people who are researching motivation? What kinds of questions should they be asking going into the future? Well, if you look at the future of human work, I think there are some really important questions that IO psychologists need to, to address. I think one is related to this technology question that we really don't we really don't have the kind of body of research we need for understanding the effects of technology and automation on human behavior. It is the biggest story of the decade. And yet if you look at our annual meetings, we have almost no discussion of how working with things and robots and new technologies affects motivation at work, how it affects trust, how it affects affiliation, uh, how it affects a sense of autonomy and control. We need to know those things, not just so that we can help people live more satisfying work lives and have better work experiences uh, and, and have more joy at work, um, but also because people in AI want to know what to program into robots that will support uh, their, the human colleagues that their robots are going to work with. They need to know about what kinds of feedback are most important for a, a human worker to get from their colleagues. Uh, if that colleague is a robot. So how should they program in feedback? How should they program in uh, emotional states and so on? And um, that's something that we can provide information on. The second thing is we really need to know, again, looking at the future, about motivation to work versus at work. We know a lot about motivation at work. We really don't know how work satisfies basic human needs. You know, a growing number of able people are either not working or engaged in poorly paid work. This is people with low education levels, older workers who can't find work. We don't know what happens to people who don't work. In the past, you know, people who don't work were near death. But now we're in a situation where we don't know if, for example, during an economic recession and you go without work, paid employment for years, what happens to work ethics, what happens to social networks, what happens to even occupational well-being and, and, learn, and uh, skill employability later in life. We need to know about continuous learning, that our old model was go to school, go to work, and then you spend the rest of your life until death taking care of your declining health. Well, that isn't a model that works. Most adults today um, 
learn and take care of the health while they're working. These, these three things are all mixed together more today. But it's also true that most adults neither want or can afford to go to traditional school programs to update and develop new skills. Yet they know that new skills are going to be needed for decent income employability in the future. So how does this new learning take place among adults who are outside of traditional programs? What motivates their enrollment into voluntary programs? What, how do they manage their work and non-work life to learn in these non-traditional programs? I suspect that social factors play a very large role in sustaining learning motivation among these adults, and I think we need to know a lot more about that. We need to know how motivation works over time and how it links to careers and the life course. We need to know how events that happen to people change and, and accumulate to affect their motivation to work and at work, what leads them to be passionate about certain lines of work. And we need to also know what leads them to be tired of certain kinds of work. You will often hear uh, individuals who have been in a job, their long tenure, 25, 30 years say, it's not that I wanna retire, it's that I need a new problem and a place to revitalize myself. We really need to understand how motivation works over time and then how it links to these careers. So those are my areas that I think are really important. That sounds like we've got a lot of questions that remain unanswered, which is exciting, especially as someone. Yeah, it is exciting. It's a, it's a great area. Um, before we wrap up, I do want to shift gears just briefly and kind of shift the spotlight from motivation to, to you, actually, um, and get your sort of perspective on your career thus far. I think that some of our listeners could identify with you and get some insight just from hearing your perspective on um, what strategies you've used to succeed and also kind of keeping with motivation theme. What do you, what keeps you motivated? Why do you, why are you still doing this? Okay. That's a hard thing to answer. Um, I think I've always done what, and I got into this because I've done what I found interesting and important and um, that has always motivated me. And because, and I become passionate about things we don't know that might have, in the pastor's quadrant sense, might have uh, important implications for use. And um, that was early on in my career about goal setting and so on. But I think, if I really think about it over the long haul, that the strategy. Uh, that has been helpful to me over time is is really thinking about opportunities come up and whether I should say no or yes or maybe to them and how to learn learning how to leverage those opportunities in a way that that stretches me but doesn't break me from what my focus is. And um, I think that's a strategy that's been the most important. And the example of that is when the air traffic controller, uh, when we developed the air traffic controller simulation to understand uh, abilities and motivation uh, in that uh, real world context, the opportunity came up to actually uh, build a, a system for them. It was 
it was a great opportunity and decided to take it because it also answered some really important questions about, for me, about what motivates people to learn and to do well in air traffic controller training. So I think over the long haul, you're going to get many opportunities. And the question is, how does that opportunity fit in with what you want to do? And can you leverage it to uh, advance both solve a practical problem and advance the science? That's very helpful, I think. Um, well, anything else you wanted to add before we wrap up? No, I think that's it. It's a very... This is um this is a really great area and there is um so much coming down the pike with the change in the work experience in the work world and that in, even in the change in human beings in terms of how they relate to work and the importance that work is going to have for society um that it's a, it, I would encourage people to consider it Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Ruth. It's been my pleasure.